0: Man, that is great stuff. Amen? Amen. Yeah, that's awesome. Listen, I started last week on just kind of something that just kind of captivated my thought over the holidays, and that was how did Jesus celebrate a new year? And I found out that they did it by just making a lot of noise. So I just kind of want to kind of give you last week part two, all right? Because it really is just kind of gripping my heart. And I just kind of want to share with you. It's more about where my, my walk has been than, than anything else. As we, we kind of go through this. Jesus was a Jew. And he was a great Jew. And he loved the Jewish people. The Jewish people's faith and family and lifestyle was rooted in tradition. Now tradition isn't a bad word. Tradition isn't a, a bad thing. Matter of fact, a lot of times tradition can be one of those anchoring things in our lives that gives stability to our lives. And so what the Old Testament did, it instituted or made landmarks out of certain traditions. New Year's was always a tradition, and the tradition was called Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah, that was the new year. And it was a week-long celebration. I mean, it was just the ultimate of parties. I'm telling you, families got together. People came from all over to celebrate. There was food, and we all love food, amen. There was music. There was great talk. There was catching up. There was singing. There was dancing. There was church. There was rejoicing. There was celebration. I mean, everything that you could picture a perfect Weak being—that's what it kind of—and the highlight of Rosh Hashanah was the Day of Atonement, the Day of Atonement, and you sang about it in that stronger song that that we we sang, where the veil is torn, and man, that is just cloaked with images of the Day of Atonement from Rosh Hashanah, where God. Is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and He is stronger than anything, any circumstance, any problem, any sin, any anything you got. He is stronger than it. Amen. And so on this Rosh Hashanah, they would have this week-long celebration to be the Day of Atonement. If you don't know what happens on the Day of Atonement, let me give you a quick Cliff Note version of it. It was expected that every Jew one that would bring one sacrifice per family. The sacrifice had to be a perfect lamb, or a perfect bull, or a perfect pigeon, depending on your economic level. You could have anything from grain all the way up to, to a to a to a, a lamb. All right, and so it was. So God's forgiveness of sin was accessible to all because there always had to be a substitute. For sin, because you and I could never pay for sin, atone for sin on our own. So we had to bring the very best that we had, and then the high priest would slit the throat of that animal and then go into the holies of holies behind the curtain, behind the veil, and that would be the priest, and his job would be to go behind the veil. All right, remember that song, He's Stronger, The Veil is Broken. Because in the Old Testament days, there was only one person who could go behind that veil. And that was the high priest. He would have bales on the bottom of his garments and a rope tied to his ankle. So if he died of a heart attack or God struck him dead because there was sin in his heart. And he went to the holies of holies with sin in his heart. The men, the other priests, would drag him out. It was a big deal. By the way, that, that when Christ died on the cross and we find that the curtain, the veil is broken, that is simply telling us that not only could the high priest go into the holies of holies, but now through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, any one of us could enter into the presence of God. Isn't that great news? And so then there's this high priest thing. The, the other aspect of it is the heavenly king. Because God always... Ask for a substitute for your sins. He loves you so much that he does not want to punish you for your sins. But he's holy enough that sin has to be punished. So there was always a substitute. In the Old Testament, it was the lamb, it was the bull, it was the grain offering, depending on your economic status and, and what you get. There was always forgiveness available. But in the New Testament, there was a perfect, eternal sacrifice That would come and be the ultimate substitute for every sinner, for every sin in the world. Isn't that great news? And God accepted his payment, his shed blood, his forgiveness of our sins... So can you imagine being that, that Jew and you're going to Rosh Hashanah and it's an exciting time as you take the animal and you hear the, the animals and, and, and the high priest takes yours and, and takes the blood and goes into the holies of holies and there intercedes and stands between God and the people. Then they did one other thing. They took the blood, the cumulative blood of the nation, and they would put it on the, on the horns of a goat, a scapegoat. And one priest would lead that goat out of the city and I have read different kind of accounts of this thing and it was like the streets were lined up and people were clapping and cheering because this was a physical, visible symbol that in the holies of holies sin was forgiven God was satisfied there was no sin now among the people that the nation of Israel and the people of Israel were a pure and holy people and it was just celebrated and they would celebrate visibly watching their sins being taken away Man, I mess up sometimes. I mess up, dude, a lot of times. Sometimes I wish I could just visibly see, like that scapegoat. What an object lesson. My sins being gone. But I'm telling you, not only Jesus was he our high priest, not only was he our sacrifice, but he was also our scapegoat. Because he took our sins, man, and he carried them all away. As Psalm 103 says, as high as the heavens are above the earth, as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered anymore. That's something to celebrate about, isn't it? Man, if you want to throw a party, throw a party over that. And that's what they did at Rosh Hashanah. Man, they would celebrate and it would be this party and it would just be this kicking in time together and they would celebrate. And the whole week's activities was simply to remind them that God is still the king. That was the bottom line. That God is still the king. Matter of fact, there are a... Uh, uh, group of psalms written to remind Israel that God is king. The genre is called the Psalms of the heavenly king. There are, psalms, there are seven of them. Psalm 47, Psalm 93, Psalm 95 through Psalm 100 and if you, or Psalm 99. And if you'll take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 95, we're going to kind of just bounce back and forth between Psalm 93, 95 through Psalm 99. And the characteristic that groups all of these Psalms together is a single phrase Yahu Malek. Yahu Malek. It simply means the Lord reigns or the Lord is king. It means the Lord reigns or the Lord is king. The Psalms announce in Psalms 47 and 93 and 95 through 99, the Psalms announce and proclaim the king of the kingdom of God. And that acclamation is particularly powerful and effective in the context that the Davidic covenant failed. Israel is a fallen nation right now. They had this great civil war and there was a northern nation that was called Israel and a southern nation that was called Judah that, that split the country right down the middle. Both just were lost in wars and fighting and, and were in captivity and oppression. And so as these psalms were written, these people were in times of oppression. They had no land. They had no temple to go to. They had no place to offer sacrifice. But it was a psalm that would say that once again. And it was a reminder that God is still king. You know, we got to be reminded of that. Because you and I get so caught up. And our world becomes so small, and we kind of make life all about us. And we just forget God has this great, huge plan. And sometimes we just need to hear the story that God is still king. Amen? And what many of us need to hear today in the middle of our brokenness, in the middle of our confusion in the middle of our doubt, in the middle of our broken promises, in the middle of our messed up stuff in life, we need to hear that Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, still reigns in power and majesty. And we here need to hear the message again that God is king. This week, this morning, I'm supposed to be in Africa. A lot of you know that my parents on both for both Terry and I are, are in declining health and Miss Henry Terry's mom is not doing well at all matter of fact we were there most of the day and in, into the night last night um, not doing well remember my wife and her mom and in your prayers and and so I just kind of thought it might be better if I was at a half a world away kind of during during this time. And as I was just kind of a little, you know, because it just really kind of tore me up not to be able to go. And I was glad to be here with my wife and do what I'm supposed to do. Because I've told this church for years, I have two congregations. One is my home and one is the church. And they do come in that order. And so I had to take care of my first congregation. But the thing is, a year ago, God knew I wasn't going to make this trip. Five years ago, he knew I wasn't going to make this trip. I didn't even know this trip was coming five years down the pike. But God knew. See... The thing that Israel needed to be reminded of is the same thing that Mike Trimble needs to be reminded of. That no matter what it looks like, no matter what I try to plan, no matter how I try to make things work out, there is somebody who has more control and more authority in life than me. And his name is Yahweh Malek. The God who reigns. Man, that is incredible. And so the heavenly king psalms speak uh, about these themes. And they they speak about that the Lord is sovereign in creation. Now before we kind of unpack that a minute, let's kind of work on our terminology just a little bit. Let's make sure we understand how we think of the concept of a king. We think in our culture where we live right now, we think of a king... As someone who has unlimited power in a limited geographical location. Does that make sense? We believe that a king or a king has unlimited power in a limited geographical location. Of all the countries of the world, there are 44 countries that have a king. Most of those are constitutional kingships. Some of them are absolute kingships like New Guinea and and, uh, and Denmark and... And uh, I can't remember the Jamaica. I had a bunch of others. I was just going to rip off just to impress you with my geography. <laughs> Not so. <laughs> but I want you to understand something. There only those kings are kings of their country, but their authority stops at their borders, right? Even though they have the title of king, they, their kingship doesn't make them king in our country. Matter of fact, if they were coming to our country, they would be a visitor, a dignitary, uh, uh, a, a person of the, of the state. But they would not be able to rule because their kingship stops at the border. I want you to understand something. Israel would celebrate this every Rosh Hashanah. You and I need to celebrate this continually in our lives. Because I want you to understand. I just simply want to remind you that our God... Heaven's king is not a constitutional king, nor is he an absolute king, because, but he is a sovereign king for his borders extend beyond any singular company, country. Matter of fact, his borders extend beyond the world. In fact, his borders extend beyond the universe because he is sovereign, not over just a country, but he is sovereign over everything because he has created everything. Everything. He's sovereign. There is nothing out of his jurisdiction. There are no borders that limit his authority. He is sovereign in his totality. King. Matter of fact, the only place that God is not sovereign at is, my, if you, if you want to kind of just put a real big, and put people in a real big pot, is most of the time we could say that God's not really sovereign in our heart because we don't let him. Because we fight for that throne. And the Israelites would sing songs of, of praise. Look at Psalm 95, verses 3, 4, and 5, they would sing of these, these psalms of creation and that God is sovereign in creation. It says, for the Lord is great, the great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. And we all say amen to that. These verses speak that God, as the earth is God's possessions, for he is the creator, owner, and controller. He controls not only the physical part of it and and the operations of the earth, but I want you to understand he also controls the moral, the moral operations of this earth. Psalm 95, verses 6 and 7 says, Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God. And we are the people of His pasture, the flock under His care. See, not only did He create all the stuff, but He created all of us. He knows the ever-decreasing number of hair on my head. He knows everything about me, every action and every thought. You see, the Bible now talks to us and says that God has kind of two people. He still has the people of Israel. They're still his people. But he also has those of us who are proud to say that we are followers of Jesus Christ. He claims us as his sons and daughters adopted into this royal family of God. Isn't that incredible? So he's created us, and now he takes care of us as the sheep of his pasture. Psalm 93 verses 1, 3 and 5 says the Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty and armed with strength. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. Your throne was established long ago. You are from all eternity. And verse 5 says, Your statutes stand firm. Holiness adorns your house for endless days, O Lord. And Israel would sing this over and over. It was the equivalent of singing, Stronger, you are stronger. Sin is broken. We would sing, he's risen. It was the equivalent of acknowledging who God is and celebrating that in our lives. Matter of fact, let me read to you Psalm 98 verses 1 and 2 and just kind of flip to these pages, you know, because you can get there real quick. In in your Bible, Psalm 98, verses 1 and 2 says, Sing unto the Lord. Sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Sing unto the Lord. Praise his name and proclaim his salvation. Day after day after day. He's king over creation. He says, sing a new song. I guess the question that I need to ask you this morning is, what song are you singing? What song are you singing? I, I, I mean, what, what is kind of like the theme song? Back when Terry and I were doing church camp, we learned this old Homer and Jethro. And, and you have to be, I mean, you have to be way, you can't even Google Homer and Jethro, all right? I would imagine you can there was this song that, that was funny because for, we would just kid each other that this was our song. And the song was You Ain't Much to Look At But Your Mind, hanging around me, darling, all the time, like poison ivy clinging to the vine. You Ain't Much to Look At But Your Mind. She'd sing that to me. Hurt my feelings. See, everybody's got a song. I, I mean, w- when you're broken and it's not going right, what song do you sing? When you're faced with sin in your heart, what, what song do you sing? When your expectations don't measure up to reality, what song do you sing? Israel in a broken, confused oppressed state, basically in oppression in another country, would go and they would sing unto the Lord a new song. They would sing to the earth, the Lord, and all the Jews all across the the world on Rosh Hashanah. They would sing unto the Lord and they would praise His name and they would proclaim His salvation and they would just reaffirm that God is good and God hadn't forgotten them and God hasn't walked out on them or walked away from them. While they may not understand it in the here and now god is always working on their behalf god is always working for their side that god's for them and one day he'll make all the wrongs right but until that day they're going to declare his glory among the nations and they're going to tell everybody of his marvelous deeds so what song are you singing I mean, when you hit that low ebb of life, what what song do you sing? It kind of leads to the second theme that kind of hell that kind of holds these heavenly psalms together, and that's that God is sovereign in righteousness and justice. For Israel, who was held in oppression by another country, the talk of justice was like a healing ointment. Now, you and I don't talk a lot about injustice; we really don't. Because in our culture and in our society, we have laws to define justice. We have police to enforce justice. We have courts to adjudicate justice. We have armies to defend justice. We let these people take care of the injustices. and Sometimes they handle justice well and sometimes they don't. However, the Bible teaches that the throne of God is the focal point Of true justice. And that he handles the issues of justice rightly every single time. Flip to uh, Psalm 96, verses 10 through 13. And look at what it says. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yahweh Melech. The Lord reigns. The Lord is firmly, the world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the people with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant. Let everything in them. Then all of the trees and the forest will sing for joy. Then all will sing before the Lord. For he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people in his truth. Amen. You get the picture? The Bible tells us that not only are you and I groaning under the curse and the weight of sin, but creation groans under the curse and the weight of sin. And creation longs and sings for the day of God's God's return, so that all of the wrongs can be made right. Man, I can't wait for the day for the Lord to come again and make all the wrongs right. To live in a world where men don't abuse women, women don't manipulate men, drugs are a thing of the past, corruption in government is unheard of. You don't have to worry about locking your doors because thieves are no longer in this new kingdom. And Israel, with everything going against it, would sing of God's justice and his righteousness. And they would sing, one day our God's coming back. One day Yahweh Melech is coming back. And when he does, Babylon, you better watch out. Because he's got our back. And he's coming to get you. Hey, you know what? I hope you understand what I'm about to say. I don't mean this in an arrogant way because it's, it's, we got to have humility. I understand that. But I do think sometimes we got to have just a little chip on our shoulder that before you chastise me. Listen to what I'm about to say. Listen, we don't have to golly gee shucks anybody. Because this book says... That Yahweh Malik has got our back. This book says that vengeance is mine. I will repay, thus saith the Lord. This book says, be not deceived whatsoever man sows. That shall he also reap. This book says that he's coming back looking for a people who is for him, looking to him, and whose hearts love him. And if you're not in that camp, then you better beware, because if you're not for him, you're against him. I didn't say that. He said that. I'm glad I'm on the for him side. Because if you're over here in the not for him side, you got bigger troubles than what you had this week coming you got bigger problems than what you had last year coming. But I'm telling you, for those of us who are over here in this camp, there are good days coming. By the way, if you're going to talk about righteousness and justice, then you've also got to talk about that God is sovereign over judgment. Because if you break God's standard of righteousness and you sin, then sin must be punished. And so when that happens, God takes care of you. Psalm 98, let me just skip down to Psalm 98, verses 7 and uh, 7, 8, and 9. Let me just kind of, Wrap up this whole idea of God is sovereign in his judgment. It says, let the sea resound. And everything in it, the dolphin, the whale, the tuna, the lake perch, the Asian carp, or whatever that thing is in our lakes that we're kind of all worried about. The minnow, the guppy, the jellyfish, everything in it. And all who live in it. Let the rivers clap. Their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord for he comes to judge the earth. And in his judgment there is no injustice. You know the beautiful thing about the judgment seat of God. If we can say that there is a beautiful thing about it. Is that when you stand in front of God you're without excuse. When, when he and you... And he reveals your life. and And it's just by my mind, you know, now on a big sixty four jumbotron thing that's in like Dallas Stadium in Arlington, Texas, or whatever that place is. It's just huge in the football stadium. And he shows it back. And I don't know if that's going to happen that way or if it's just kind of you and him talking with with Christ. I don't know quite how it's all going to happen. I just know he's going to show you your life and your decisions. And and you're not going to be able to go, well, I really didn't mean that. Because not only will your actions be judged, but your attitude and the thought behind your actions. And you're left without excuse. And so Israel would celebrate, hey, listen, all we've got to do is live true, live straight, live right. All we've got to do is continue to love God, and God's going to take care of us. And when he comes, for those who don't love him, for those who haven't lived it right, for those who haven't lived true, God's going to deal with them. He will judge the world in righteousness and all of the people with equity. Now, I understand That we live in a sense and sensibility age where everybody is supposed to be politically correct. I'm sorry, I just am not. I still believe right is right and wrong is wrong. And just because you want to do something that's wrong and you don't want to feel bad doing it, so you change the name and then make it feel like that you're entitled to do it, doesn't mean I have to accept it as right just because you, in your opinion, want to do something wrong and now claim that it's right. Did that make sense? So what I believe is that you and I just need to keep loving Jesus and living right. There's nothing wrong with doing What's right? God one day and we could sing Psalm 98, we could sing Psalm 95, we could sing Psalm 47 and Psalm 93 Or Psalm ninety-three and Psalm 90, we could sing all seven of the heavenly king psalms because we too are looking for the day when God, the ultimate judge, comes to judge this world because when you and I stand before him, the blood of Jesus Christ and his love and his righteousness close us and God does not deal with us according to to our sin or sinfulness he deals with us as sons and daughters of the king man that's good stuff by the way there's one other thing that tied all of these together and that's the lord is sovereign and that he's the future coming king he is the future coming king he is king of the future You know, we used to sing the song, I guess they still do in children's church, but he's the king of the jungle, you know, he's the king of the universe, he's the, uh, oh my goodness, we sang that song, my kids sang that song, drove me crazy. You know what, soon as I get home, I'm calling one of my boys and going, sing this song to me. He's king of the jungle, boo-boo. He's king of the sea, he's king of the universe, and he's a king of me. And his name is J-E-S-U-S. Is that right? Am Am I doing it right? You know, you stall long enough and you hope Don just comes out and starts jamming on the keyboard. He's probably back there having a donut and a drink of coffee. I'm struggling with king of the jungle. Hey, listen, he's not only the king of the jungle and the king of me, but he's the king of the future. Listen, some of you worry so much about what is going to happen tomorrow, you cannot enjoy the blessings of today. All I can simply tell you is you don't have to worry about tomorrow because by the time you get to tomorrow, you're, fin- you're going to find out that God has already been there long before you ever got there. He is the king of the future. Man, there just seems like there's a lot in Terry in my life that's just up in the air right now. With my parents and her parents and her mom. And it just a lot of, lot of juggling. And, and Blake's trying to get some things ready so he can further his grad stuff. And, you know, my grandbaby's out in Owasso, Oklahoma. You know, and I'm glad that Clayton and Taylor and Ashley, who's flying out, uh, Ashley is Clayton's sister, and she's flying out uh, after the, the service today. But I mean, I'm, I'm so glad they came to the real world, aren't you? And uh, I, I don't know what's going to happen in the future. All I can tell you is I'm not going to be afraid of it because I'm not afraid of my God. And the God that I love is king of the future. And just like he took care of me yesterday and like he takes care of me today, I know that when I get to the tomorrow that he is already in, he is going to take just as good a care of me there as he did in the yesterday there. He's king. He's king. Matter of fact, Psalm 98 Psalm 98. You ought to underline this one in your Bible. You ought to kind of memorize it. Because really it incorporates creation, righteousness, justice, judgment, and the king of the future concept. It really kind of encapsulates all of these main themes together. He says, shout for joy to the Lord. All the earth burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with a harp. With the harp and with the sound of singing. With trumpets and with the blast of the ram's horn, shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it, in the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands and let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and his people with equity. And the good news is that the King is coming. Amen. That our Jesus, who died on the cross, was that sacrifice. That our Jesus, who was not only the sacrifice... But the high priest, our Jesus, who not only died on the cross, but on the third day rose again and was the scapegoat, and took our sins way far away. Our Savior, our King, our Yahweh Melech is the King of the future. And ladies and gentlemen, I am so thrilled to tell you that it could be in 2014 that Jesus Christ is coming or could come again. And that ought to make all of us want to sing He's the king of the jungle. Thank you, Yolanda. So is he your king? Is he your king? I mean, I mean really, let's, we're, we're kind of buttoning up 2013. We're kind of starting 2000 a little chilly, but trying to start 2014. Be a great day. To have a Rosh Hashanah moment. Where those of us who know Jesus. Bow our knees. And if there's any sin to deal with. We tell Jesus. We are absolutely sorry. That we have sinned against him. And then. We sing. You're my king. You are my king. That may come in a simple song. I've decided to follow Jesus. You may sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved the wretch like me. I don't know what song it is. But maybe as we wrap up 2013 and get cranking up on 2014, maybe you just need to fall on your knees in front of to your king and say if there's any sin to confess you confess it and then just to reaffirm and say in front of all of us by a bended knee Jesus you are still my king would you stand to your feet with your heads bowed and your eyes closed Father in the next few moments can we just have A little celebration. Can we break out in song in our heart? Can we just bow down to worship you? Because you are the sovereign king and your kingship and your authority is not limited by border or space.